Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Let me adjust my studio setting. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. We're here for another pod. Who's this podcast for? My name is Nate. Did you know that already? Uh, back with another one. I uh, hope you all enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. Kind of came and went very quickly, but now we're in September. Hopefully it cools off a little bit. Getting closer to fall. Great time of year. I just can't wait for it to for all the leaves start falling and it to get cold. Missed the cold. Love the summer. It was fun, but it's over. I need some snow. Need boots. All that stuff we've talked about before. But in this one, um, another free flowing episode. Don't know exactly what I'm gonna do. Might look at some articles that I have been putting away for um for the time being. But today might be a good day to break them out. Like. For instance, um, Pace Magazine, uh, top 50 best movies of the 40s, uh, 60s, 70s, I believe I had on there. I might take out the 50s one. That's a that's a decade I'm beginning more and more into. The 60s as well. So I go through those. But first, one of my most anticipated movies of the year still to come uh, for the last for these last four months or so called The Bike Riders by a man named Jeff Nichols, if you don't know who that is. I don't know if he's related to Mike Nichols, the acclaimed director, who has a book out that almost got a few times, but I need to see some of his stuff first. But he's made stuff like The Master, not The Master, but The Graduate and other movies like that. But Jeff Nichols is an American filmmaker uh, known for his collaboration with Michael Shannon from Little Rock, Arkansas. He's made movies like, if I can pull them up, uh, I guess loving he may take shelter, shotgun stories, and midnight special. A lot of Michael Shannon in there. I think all of them have Michael Shannon except loving. Maybe he might be in that one as well. Actually, I'm not sure, but he has a new movie coming out called The Bike Riders. Uh, very much anticipated this, and the trailer dropped this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about The Bike Riders real quick. Uh, let's see here. Over the course of the 1960s, a Midwestern motorcycle club evolves from a gathering place for local outsiders into a more sinister gang, threatening the original group's unique way of life. Starring Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Jody Comer, Michael Shannon, of course, Mike Face, Boyd Holbrook, Norman Reedus, who's Daryl from The Walking Dead, Damon Harriman, Michael Abbott Jr., bunch of people. Uh, primarily, Tom Hardy, Austin Butler, Michael Shannon, and Jody Comer are the big ones in this, and uh looks like an old school 60s 70s movie and it has me very excited watch the trailer already i want to go through it with y'all real quick it's like a two minute trailer let's take some pauses talk about some stuff that i find interesting in it uh, if you haven't seen this on youtube it's 20th century studios is um it's their thing i mean it's their trailer it's their movie so you can go there and watch it i'm gonna start it up run through this if you don't care then whatever but i did want to talk a little bit about it because i saw some stuff in there that i liked and some stuff i didn't um you know i want to be honest about that the description on the on the bike riders official trailer for the on the youtube trailer this is from the uh, writer director jeff nichols loving midnight special mud 20th century studios and new regency the bike riders affairs drama following the rise of a fictional or fictional 1960s midwestern motorcycle club through the lives of its Members starring Jodie Comer, I don't know why she's first, 
Killing Eve, The Last Duel. She should not have first billing. Austin Butler, Elvis, and Tom Hardy, Mad Max Street Road, The Revenant. Backriders opens in U.S. theaters on December 1st. We will be there. But um, let's go through this and see what all they're going to do with this one. Uh, then we might go through some comments or something. I don't know. So it starts off. They're all outside the club or outside the like motorcycle gang house. It's the 60s, so they got the cars, the bikes, and everything. It looks pretty good. It looks like it was shot on film. It, you know, it looks really good. Got Austin Butler. He's going to be the star of this thing. Obviously, he's got the whole machine behind him. He's the big guy. I like Austin Butler. I liked him since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't see Elvis, but I just like him. He reminds me of older movie stars from back in the day. A bit more masculine. Not as feminine. Sorry, it is what it is. Um, I like Timothy Chalamet. Where too many blossoms for me. Uh, Tom Holland, no. Uh, then beyond that, maybe like uh, my guy Daniel Kaluuya. He feels like an, he, he, he's, he's very suave and charismatic. But Austin Butler feels masculine in a way that not many movie stars today feel. And that's what really draws me to his work. Um, he's a really great actor, I think. But uh, something like this, doing a movie like The Bike Riders, that just kind of shows what kind of work he's trying to do and i just appreciate it i do think that that's a good thing uh to me you, you, we need more guys like that honestly uh, and this movie kind of drips some of that 1960s 50s 70s masculine kind of um you know energy and i just think that's needed too many too many movies today are, are pretty feminine even when they're trying not to be and it's like eh, enough of that but um, let's see him. I already paused it. It's like one second in. So we got Tom Hardy here pausing it again. Uh, again, if you haven't seen the trailer, go watch it real quick and then come back. We're just going to go through it. You know. Then we got a few other things we're going to do. But I just really want to talk about this trailer because I did like it. But it was, I was like, hmm, I see the angle they're kind of going to tell the story. And I kind of kind of made me pause for concern. But we'll get to that point when it comes up. But Tom Hardy here. It's been a while since I think Tom Hardy's been in a flick. Was the last one? Was that the 2020 movie uh, Capone? Uh, I don't know, but it just it's good to see him back in something like this too. Um, and maybe I'm missing it. I, I don't know if I'm missing something. Am I? Hold on, I'm gonna look this up real quick. Am I overlooking what Tom Hardy has been doing recently? Like. <laughs> I don't think I have. I don't think he's been in anything since 2020. I guess he was a Venom Let There Be Carnage in 2021. But could, I mean, can you forgive me for forgetting that movie? Goodness, I saw that movie. And I wish I didn't. That's all I'll say. Be a Capone's 2020, Vengeance 2, 2021, and that's pretty much it. So he's back in a real drama with acting and, you know, human characters not freaking venom so good to see him back as well you got the bikes and they're gonna be on the road man this is a real bike bike riding uh movie you know the vandal chicago is that game looking michael shannon looking crazy austin butler on the bike Getting in the bar fights, maybe some knifing, some stabbing, some shooting. Now we got Jody Comer. Jody Comer was in the last duel. 
And um, I liked that movie a lot. I had problems with it. Basically how the story was told. And they were trying to say it was like Rashomon. But no, it's not. Because Rashomon didn't give any one person the um, the overall like checkmate of like, this is how it actually happened, which that movie did do. The Last Duel gave her experience the overall, you know, like it, it it didn't matter anything else that had happened because we thought hers well, we were told that hers was the the um the truth and that's not what Rashomon was Rashomon was an accounting how each person saw this story and you didn't know who was telling the truth because everybody could have been lying but you know in a modern movie you know the woman obviously can't be lying and I just thought that was cheap and you know, it, it was what it was. That movie still has great fight scenes, and Ridley Scott can still do that. But I just thought the story was lacking. But here she is in this, and um, you know, we'll see. They really get to the point of my the bane of my the the problem with this very soon though. But she's his from the beginning. So Mike Face is in this movie. Last time I saw him was in West Side Story, and I guess in the trailer for the Challengers was Zendaya. Which is crazy, and I probably should have talked about that when that came out. But so it looked like he's interviewing her in the future about what happened when she was with this gang in the past. Now that can be okay. They kind of did that, not exactly the same, but they, I, the thing I remember most being like that was the um, what was that movie called in twenty nine Hustlers, where you had the um, Save the Last Dance actress. I can't think of her name right now. Interviewing Constance Wu's character. Was it during the whole thing or after? It might have been after. So this could literally be the same storytelling mechanic of him interviewing this lady about what happened back then. Or maybe it is during the time that it's happened, but I doubt it. But I don't want to tell. I don't want to hear this story through Jody Comer's point of view. That's just me. I want to hear this story from the bike riders. And then at the end, if you need to do that, if she's the last person standing, cool. But I don't want this story to start with Jodie Comer and end with Jodie Comer. Because to me, it's not about Jodie Comer. It's about the bike riders. That's what enticed me to this movie. You know, it, it wasn't to hear her retelling and uh, recounting of what happened. I, I just don't want that. And, uh, you know, I just feel shoehorned to, you know, feels very much... Uh, Let's get the the female perspective in this very masculine movie. And I don't want that. We Like I said, we have enough of that. And so that is pause for concern. But they could, you know, it, it, it could be nothing. I'll, I'm open to, to thinking that. But from this trailer, I was like, I didn't think it was going to be this. So, but anyway, let's go. Chicago, 1995. She said this was the golden age of bike riders. They had black bike riders, everybody pouring beer on each other's head. I never felt so out of place in all my life. And there goes Austin Butler. <laughs> Doing his best suave impersonation. You know, he could be something for this generation, man. Um, obviously, Hollywood loves a good heartthrob. But you know, beyond that, like, you can bring a certain movie back with this guy, and I think it will work, like, for real, like, 
he has a certain charisma. It's a weird charisma, but he has a charisma that almost that, that reminds me of Steve McQueen and guys like that, Charles Bronson. He's not as stoic, I don't think, as those guys, but he comes off very quiet and he's very respectable in interviews and stuff and um and his voice. You know, he did the whole Elvis thing and he got stuck in the voice. He's already won an Oscar for best actor. I think he won that. No, Brendan Fraser won that. Didn't he? One of them. I think it was Brendan Fraser. I don't know. Look, if Barbie wins the Oscar this year, I'm not watching it no more. That's hot take of the year. But if Barbie wins, and it very much could win, I'm not watching the Oscars anymore because uh, Oppenheimer is right there. Oppenheimer should take everything. It should take every single nomination it's up for. And if it doesn't, we got a real problem. Okay, so Academy Award for Best Actor in the Leading Role went to Brendan Fraser. That's what I thought. Um, so, you know, but he's already been nominated. So that's good. He got that out the way. So he'll win one at some point, I'm sure, unless they don't want him to for some reason. But I just think that this guy, he's very young, I think. Let me look that up real quick. I know the dude can't be more than 27, right? Like, he can't be older than me. Because that would be crazy, right? Now he's 32. What? <laughs> I thought, I mean, that's still very young. But, man, I thought he was younger than that. Okay, whatever. He's still very young. Um, And he, he can just bring back a certain type of movie. You know, but still keep the... I think that the acting up to par, right? It won't have to sacrifice anything. And then I think he's very picky about what he wants. He doesn't pick a lot of stuff, at least right now. I don't know what his next movie is, but we'll discuss all of that after. But, um, yeah, I, I just like Austin Butler. And once upon a time, how I thought he was really good. And, you know, I didn't watch Elvis, but that movie did pretty well. And people always said the movie might not be good, but he was great. So that's all you can do. And then this movie looks, you know, right up my alley, uh, except for a few things. Like I said, we'll get to it. I already mentioned one, but we'll get to the other one. So she said, that's when I saw him for the first time. It took my breath away. His name is Benny. So five weeks later, I married him. So shows him fighting. So I thought I could change him, you know. Wait, was that Mike faced with the um, with the with the camera? I had to go back real quick. Yes, so I guess Mike faced um, was a photographer for them, so he was part of the group. So how is he now conducting? So I guess he just conducting an interview for him. Who knows? I don't know. So not to be different, but I don't know. Like he's wild. So the guys come up and mess with him in the bar. You said you'd have to kill me to get this jacket off. So they hit him with a bar stool. Throw him out. He takes a knife out of his pocket. Slash somebody in the face. And uh, Brucey, I guess, is played by Tom Hardy. He says, what about the bar? He said, no, his name Johnny. Brucey, I guess, another guy. He said, burn it down. So the club got Kathy, her Jody Comer's character. So the club got real big, real fast. Started running drugs, gambling, prostitution. Who is this with the beard and the teeth? I don't know, but he looks grungy. 
But even as it looks grungy, it doesn't look grungy enough to me. Like, I want this movie to look like, if you don't know the reference, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, Robert Altman, I think 1970. Gosh, now I gotta look that up. Let's keep my phone close instead of having to reach over for it. McCabe, 1971. I was close. I want it to look like that, like nasty, right? Like, this is the 60s. This is a bike rider gang in the Midwest. I want this to look dirty, nasty, dingy. Like, it still looks too pristine and clean to me. And part of that is maybe the digital cinema, uh, the, the digital technology. I don't know if this is shot on film. Some of it looks like it could be, but they've done a good job of masking that and pretending that it's shot on film. But this should have been on film. On say a little dirty, nasty, grungy, and it still looks a little bit too clean. Looks too much like a movie to me. And I know it's not a documentary, um, and I'm still into it, but I I just want it to look a bit dirty. And it could by the time the, when we watch the movie, the trailer can be a bit different. But I don't know. I just wanted I just wanted a little bit more grime, I guess, to it. Which film would have given it? By the way. So set the club got real big or fast. So it sounds like it's gonna go bad. So Benny says, "Is that what this club is now?" Oh, and they look like they were executing some guys. So that's gonna be interesting. Oh, but that wasn't their club. That was somebody else on the back of this guy smiling at the girls. Uh, look like he had a different tag on the back. Maybe they have incorporated other gangs or bike riders into it. But yeah, it look like they're executing two gentlemen. Just I want you to quit riding with your 44. He said, don't ask that. To look like he's in the hospital, he's going to get in some trouble, maybe a bike accident. And Tom's hardest character said, I need you. Says inspired by true events. Kathy says you can't have them. And Johnny says if he wants to ride a bike, he'll ride a bike. But yeah, why is Jody Comer's name first? This is the movie isn't about her. And and that's bothering me. I don't I don't I don't I just don't think that's what this was, man, when I was sold this movie. But you know, you never know what it is until you get the final product. You can have the idea in your mind, but that doesn't mean that's what it's going to come out to be. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just don't like, eh. I don't think I, I, I don't like that. You know, she shouldn't get first billing over <laughs> Austin Butler or even Tom Hardy for that matter. I mean, Tom Hardy. It's been in some of the biggest movies of the generation or of the century, dark Knight rises and the revenant, I guess maybe not about money, but the revenant did great money. I think, Mad Max Fury Road. Like, come on, man. Like, what did Jody Comer done? Killing Eve? Like, get out of here, bro. And even Austin Butler was in Elvis. Like, come on. So Austin Butler, Jody Comer, Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon, Boyd Holbrook, who we didn't see in this trailer. But that's been my guy since Narcos. I always root for Boyd Holbrook. He should be having the career that Pedro Pascal is having because he was the better actor of the two. And you could see it back then. I'm just not a fan of Pedro Pascal. Quite frankly, he's not that good to me. 
Walter are going to get into some fights. Johnny says, hey, you know, just just think it over, you know. The bike riders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm into it. I'm into it. I got something else on the other side, so stay with me. All right, back, back like we never left. There's another video I want to show you. Probably be the end of this pod, I believe. I'm not sure how long it is, um, but I do want to go to you. You know, as you know, I'll be writing. I'll be doing my little thing, my my writing thing, my little script thing. Got some dreams, um, you know. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of dive into one of the better guys who I consider making the YouTube videos right now, especially for the screenwriting people and the director and all the movie lovers. Guy named MovieWise, at MovieWise on YouTube. And here's a video that I want to go to today, The Truth About Dialogue. You'll never hear dialogue the same way again. Published this about four months ago. Shout out to MovieWise. I'm a big fan of your thing. There's a lot of other videos we can cover, and we will, because I love this guy's work. But this is what I want to go to today, because I've been writing. Actually, I've been rewriting something recently, trying to get it down. It's about 180 pages. That's too long. I want to cut down the fat and make it more streamlined so I can try to sell this thing, you know, maybe get it made. I won't make it, because uh, they probably won't let me make it, but somebody will make it, and then I'll denounce the whole thing, because they'll probably ruin it. But... I've been polishing it up, basically, doing a rewrite, if you will. And I've been struggling with some of the scenes. Should I keep them? Should I cut them? And some of the dialogue choices. And this guy has a video that I've watched many times, and I want to watch it again with you all right now. The truth about dialogue, like I said, you never hear dialogue the same way again. I think it's interesting. That's kind of the whole thing, right, of this of this pod is I think it's interesting, and I do it. So we're going to do this. I don't want to read the description because it's very long and it kind of gives away what this is going to be, but uh, I'll read it at the end. But it's it's wild if you're into screenwriting, how watching this video will open up writing dialogue for you. Not in the how, but in the why or the what. Uh, and with that, let's get started. Again, this is You'll Never Hear Dialogue the Same Way Again by the great YouTube channel, MovieWise, M-O-V-I-E-W-I-S-E, all one word. Shout out to him. Let's go. Can you hear that? I got it up pretty loud. Because uh, I don't want to say exactly what he's saying. I want to listen to it also and pause it. But let me turn my fan down just in case you can't hear it. All right, let's start. You see, when people talk about dialogue, they always talk about style. Um, The subject is always style. Do the characters speak realistically or do they use heightened language? Is it snappy and literary? And style is important. There is one essential part of dialogue that should come first, and yet it's mostly ignored, and that's content. This was key. 
because I was always somebody who thought good dialogue was how they said it, not what they were saying or why they were saying. And when he said the content of it, you know, content, uh, ugly word to artists and to art in general. But in this instance, he's talking about literally what's the content of the words they're saying? What are they saying? Not how, but what? And maybe even so why? And he goes on to explain expound on that and i'm gonna pause it where i feel necessary but i'm gonna try to not talk over it again sorry it's a force of habit but i i hope you can hear it if you can't just watch it by yourself and then you'll understand what i'm talking about hopefully so or a character can say something in a certain way and it's to say something and what i discovered about the types of content dialogue can have change forever not only how you listen to dialogue in movies tv shows plays and books but also how you listen to dialogue in real life there are only two types of dialogue be it in fiction or reality and they are the practical and the analytical so he says there are only two types of dialogue in fiction or reality practical dialogue and analytical dialogue when he breaks this down you'll see just how much it makes perfect sense to me at least to you it might not but then go out and listen to people talking and realize if what they're saying is practical and what they're saying is analytical based on his parameters here. The practical consists of facts. What the practical consists the practical dialogue consists of facts. What happened in the past, what is going, what is happening in the present, and what will happen in the future. Facts and events. That's practical dialogue. So anything that's factual. The analytical is what inside your mind and not in the real world. It's an opinion, a feeling, a hypothesis, and the conclusion uh, an analyzes analogies, metaphors, all of that. So analytical dialogue is just opinion. It's what you feel, you know. It's the it's emotion, you know. It's nothing um, necessarily concrete, just your ideas on the world or people or whatever. That's the difference between practical and analytical dialogue. And he gives examples all throughout this video. So the practical people, if you prefer practical dialogue, according to movie wives, then you talk about experiences. I went to this, I went to that, I did this, I did that, all things like that. And if you don't have a fact to put in, then maybe you feel left out of the conversation. It says analytical people find them boring and unimaginative. And he gives an example from the Green Book. This letter I mean potato chips. I washed my socks and dried them on the TV. I should have, well, the honor, you know this letter, right? Analytically inclined people 
to analytical speakers tend to have an opinion on world events, world thoughts, things like that. And then they bounce the ideas off of each other. And, you know, if you don't have an opinion, then you, you're going to be left uh, speechless because you don't have a place to get in, in terms of where you stand. It says in practical people think they are useless and loony because they spend all day talking about ideas and actually going and do something, uh, you know, actually uh, practical or meaningful in the real world. It's all just talk to people who are more practical than analytical in terms of dialogue. That is. It said, now these two types are rarely absolutes, and that's key to, to remembering that it's not just a, it's more of a spectrum than just a uh, one point or the other point. You have to pick one. It's you usually somewhere in the middle is what he's going to say. They are poles with a thousand variations. In the so they are poles with a thousand variations in between from practical to analytical. He says, many opinions are more factual than profound, meaning that you're just regurgitating stats. You don't have a real opinion on anything. So it's more of a fact than anything profound or anything coming from you. And many facts, and many facts are ultimately points of view in disguise, meaning um, your facts, so-called facts, is just how you feel and you're using that to justify your feelings, even though it might not be uh, coherent facts or have anything to do with the argument at hand. You're using these facts just to bolster your point meaning your bias which you biases usually come from an opinion so they're not one of one a practical thinking person or a practical dialogue doesn't always mean it's factual just like analytical dialogue doesn't always mean that that person you know isn't um you know isn't applying real world logistics to their quote-unquote opinion you know you can use these two things and really mix it up and make your characters very evolved and very um, interesting because like you said, uh, most uh, opinions or most facts are more opinions than profound and many facts are ultimately points of view disguise. Let me go back real quick. They are with a thousand variations in many opinions are more factual than profound and many facts are the ultimately points of view in disguise. Predictions for the future often stand in the middle ground. A line that's 100% practical will be something like barely comprehensible jargon. So war jargon. So while dialogue that's 100% analytical is akin to a theoretic abstract philosophy. Yes, 
situations you will find in your life will be practical. Well, well, that's nice. But you know, how's it going? Gonna fly. So he's using Inception as an um, example of why all practical dialogue to him is, you know, has a problem where it becomes tedious. And it feels like information dumping where you're just getting exposition, backlogs and backlogs of information you need to flesh out these characters and telling the story in an interesting way where you get that information, but maybe in a more um, interesting way. And practical dialogue is all information. It's all either what happened, what's happening, or what's going to happen. It's nothing really to dive into. It's nothing really telling you about the characters themselves. Whenever I hear things like this for too long, my brain goes blank and files everything away under block stuff. If I just wanted block for block's sake, I could just read the a summary and save a buck in two hours. What we want is characters, and characters mostly reveal themselves through analytical dialogue. Yes, there's action, but most of the runtime in most movies is dialogue. If you look up which films are considered to have the best dialogue, oh, got an ad. Sorry, but perfect time to stop. So he says to him, most dialogue of the best dialogue is analytical. Because what we care about is characters, not just plot stuff and plot summary. And to him, the best dialogue is mostly analytical. If you look up the best dialogue, you'll see that most of it, if not all of it, came from analytical dialogue, where analytical dialogue gives us characters um, instead of just information. He said, yes, there's action too, but from, for the most part, most movies are consistent of uh, dialogue. So the dialogue works the way a great conversation in real life works. 
something practical is mentioned. Then characters give their opinions and points of view about the subject. Delving into the analytical. So let me go back a bit. Says so. Let's see here. Let's talk about the scene from Pulp Fiction where they talk about the foot massages. If you don't know, uh, I don't know how you don't. Just through their points of view, we get to know their personalities. And soon enough, they feel like more than characters, they feel like friends. So practical dialogue should serve for two things, exposition and as a springboard springboard that leads to analytical. So you can use them in conjunction to each other. Use the practical to set up the analytical and also to get your exposition out, um, which is needed. You, you know, some information is needed. That's not inherently a bad thing, but it's how you go about giving the exposition that means the most to where it doesn't just feel like information dumping. And, um, uh, it should always lead to an analytical. That's where the characters, that's where the true essence of your character rings out. So here's something that happened. Now here's what I think about that thing. And he's the scene from Butch Cassidy where he says, I can't swim. That's practical. He's telling you you know, a fact. Um, he would know if he can't swim, right? He don't think he's making that up. Now, he could be. Now, that would be interesting because then you use practical as a lie, which is that analytical? Now, it could be. But in this moment, I do think he's not lying. He said, I can't swim, uh, Sundance Kid. And then Butch Cassidy says, He says, what are you, crazy? It's the fall that'll probably kill you. That's analytical. Even though that could be practical, because it's the fall that'll probably kill you. It's not. It could be practical, but it's not because he said probably. So he doesn't know for certain. He's almost making like a joke of it. Like, are you crazy? Like, it's the fall that'll kill you. That'll probably kill you. Where he says, I can't swim. And he says, it'll fall that'll probably kill you. Like, you're so scared about the water. The jump is going to do more damage than that according to him but the probably makes that analytical that's his thought but really he's more nagging him 
but that can be practical too. But you see how when it's good, you can't even really tell the difference. It all just kind of becomes good dialogue. And I guess that's the point. The practical leads to the analytical, but then at some point they almost merge a little bit. You know, except the fact when he says, like, I can't swim. That's literally practical. But I already explained to you how that could be analytical, too. So it's just really about how you do this stuff. So now they're using the example from All About Eve, fantastic movie from Sorry, let me go back a little bit to all about Eve. So Eve tells this the story to them um, about her past, and which is all practical because it all happened. And then Bertie says, "Oh, what a story! Everything but the bloodhound snapping at her at her rear end." That's analytical, basically saying like, uh, "Oh, she's trying too hard," or "Oh, trying to be so sad," right? And it leads Margo to give her opinion about Bertie's opinion. Usually the best and most intelligent examples of dialogue are opinions. Is us opinions stacking up on others on each other's opinions. Which is 12 Angry Men in a nutshell. If you're thinking that so much practical dialogue because it's, it's a court case the most thrilling scenes are the scenes when their opinions about the practical evidence or the practical dialogue in this case, those opinions start to mount and you start to get different forces. Whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, that's the key. That's the main. That's when the drama is heightened. Opinions going against opinions. Now you're going to use an example from the Godfather. Let me go back here. Examples of dialogue are opinions stacking up on each other. Opinions of opinions. A cascade of the analytical. To the Godfather, Michael says, "My God, my father is no different than any other powerful man." That's an opinion. Could be fact, but it's not necessarily true. And we know it's not true because of what all that, you know, they do. He says, then any other powerful man like a senator or president. You know how that 
She said, you know how naive you sound. Senators and presidents don't get have men killed. And that's where we're like, that's your opinion. But we also know that that probably isn't true. And then Michael says, who's being naive, Kate? That's also an opinion. It's like, come on, like, are you serious?
I forgot I was um recording for a second. Hold on one second. I was sending a message real quick. Sorry about that. You know how naive it sounds. Senators and presidents don't have them killed. Who's being naive? Because I know two types of dialogue can also be used to differentiate characters. So now they're showing um, Buddy from The Godfather. We just talked about Shrimp. Uh, what was the name? I don't know that movie. I know his name, but I can't think of it right now. But how um, if you want to just talk practically and you'll show a dumb character or a character that's not interesting. The opposite of seduction is being overly practical. The lowest type of analytical dialogue is the one that sounds practical. Just how, for instance, a suit of clothes, you wouldn't call me a stylish cut, and I prefer it that way. But I can safely say I'm made of solid material. It can just be the writer trying to sound smarter than he is. When talking to practical people, an analytical mind is often treated as a sign of status and intelligence. There's a margin called Jeremy Iron CEO. Here's a bunch of practicalities. Then you translate them into the analytical. Thank you. 
Well, no, yeah, yeah. So they're going to sit nice and relaxed, call it, you know, you know whatever. Yeah, How about it, quietly, nice and relaxed, intense. Still, no rule is set in stone. The strong, silent There's still no rule is set in stone. The strong, silent type is intelligent and practical. Let me go back and stop talking over them. She attracted people who are my exact opposite. She's not the girl I found made for me and for her. If the conviction I based my whole love on her destroyed, then I stopped loving her. Just to conclude, the practical and the analytical are ideal tools to differentiate characters. It's a contrast of personalities made simple. So, but if we are, if you're looking for a masterpiece of dialogue, then you are looking for a good example of the analytical, because that's the dialogue that bears a character open and reveals their innermost individuality. They don't just talk about things. They think about things, and that gives them complexity. After all, dialogue is only as good as the characters who speak it. I hope all that showed up. It's a great video by a great channel. Again, go over to MovieWise YouTube channel and, uh, you know, just watch some of his stuff. If you're into this kind of thing, if you're into the movie talk, it's not all that kind of intricate stuff about screenwriting. Some of it is on the nose, like kind of more mainstream point of view, opinion stuff about movies like the 10 greatest films of all time, according to him. He has a channel on that. You can go watch that one and many other ones. I recommend them. Uh, greatly he's great at what he does and um i think that's it i think that's it for me um i've been enjoying this kind of free-flowing thing we got we didn't get to the pace magazine articles might get to those next week who knows let's still have them on the back burner i'm gonna do them at some point but uh you know we just we're just trying to figure it out until we until we start back up with the love watch along but i just wanted to take a few weeks and you know see if i had anything else to talk about i didn't want to use that as a correction i'm glad i haven't because it's made me find other things and you know, do other things, and, you know, we're here. We're just trying to figure it out. Sorry about that long pause in the middle. I forgot I was recording on this. I was sending some some messages to people, and, uh, but you know, that happens. I'm not going to edit that out. That happens. <laughs> I can't wait to see what people will be like, um, you know, what's going on? Like, did, did, my, did my phone stop working or whatever? But, again, sorry about that. But, anyway, let me get out of here. Enjoy the rest of your week. Um uh, Try to do something productive. 
one tidbit about me. Just bought a PS5. It's exciting. I've been playing some of that. Need more games for it. Um, and I'm just very excited. It's a great system. Beautiful game. Uh, beautiful system. And one thing I realized about these systems is that they're very expensive. And the games now, too. Back when I was a kid, they were $60. Now they're like 70 And they're only getting more expensive. So inflation is in everything. Thanks, Biden. But uh, anyway, I'm out of here. Thank you all for listening as usual. And uh, that's all I got. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Peace out.